Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. So are you uh are are you still um going through the uh the rounds in Animal Crossing? I I know that you were getting a little frustrated Have uh, you last been week. Peeking potentially at my play history here, H. Have I been outed? As I haven't an- looked at play history, although I think your island is open to me if I ever want to go visit. I don't remember if you have to be there since we're best friends. We are best friends. Or whether friends. I can just wander on in. Um, number one, that's very sweet. I do consider you a best friend. You're, you're there. <laughs> uh, number two, yeah, I think so. So, um, so I've given it a couple additional goes because I know the people who love it really treat it almost or seem to treat it almost like a meditation um, Mm -hmm. where they just kind of, I'm going to log in and I'm just going to do 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes in a day. And so I've never really taken the time to treat Animal Crossing like that. So I've, I've attempted to do that. I do think like, I don't love the debt feeling like the, the debt, even though it's completely meaningless, really hangs over Mm me um, in that game. And I, I think I still struggle a little bit with the, I don't know if the pacing is the right word, but it it is a game that wants you to take your time. And so it feels almost like it doesn't understand why you would want to hurry through something. Like every fossil has to be a conversation with this stupid out. Like, <laughs> and so I turn in four at once. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. So that's the gift. But uh, yeah, so I'm just uh I've started to make my way through it. I'm finding something of a groove, so I'm going to continue to stick with it and, and see where it takes me. I think the way to view the debt is that there's no imperative necessarily to pay it off, but when you do pay it off, it unlocks kind of the next tier of your house or paying off bridges or inclines or whatever it is. It just kind of gives you the opportunity to make something better. And so in a way, you're not really paying off something that you already owe because there's no interest and no one's ever going to come for it if you just decide that you're happy with the house the size that it is now. Yeah. But um, it's kind of like in every other video game where it's like, you know, the the upgrade costs $2 million. Once you get $2 million, then you get the upgrade. Yeah. I mean, that totally, that it makes sense. And I'm finding some level of joy in it. I think maybe this is also, it's just a good time for Animal Crossing. And as yeah. people want to... Uh, you know, escape and find other things. But uh, yeah, so Animal Crossing, I'm warming to it. Let's call it that. I don't want to be too dramatic. Cool. I've spent the weekend in VR and it's been a long time since I've done that, but I've had a wonderful time. Have you played Half-Life Alex? I have not. No. Um, I played uh, quite a bit of uh, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice in VR, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's very cool in VR and of course, the uh, 3D audio and, and everything that goes along with that, just the sense of place and uh, of being there. But the harsh graphical downgrade is very noticeable. And the save doesn't carry between the 2D and VR versions. Oh, and so no. it's just like you have to make a choice at the beginning whether you want the top tier graphics or whether you want the game to play in VR. And it's kind of kind of unfortunate to have to make that decision, but... 
overall, still a very good game. One day in the future, you will not have to choose, my son. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. But um, yeah, no, I've been, uh, I've been playing quite a bit of Beat Saber. I did uh, went back to the climb a little bit, um, an Oculus game, which is fantastic. I've been, uh, I finished off Trover Saves the Universe and uh, just been having a wonderful time in VR. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I've got this Rift S uh, hanging around, so I, I could dive in at any moment, but I, I think Alex might be the next thing that I, I give a shot to. It is a scary game if that's, uh, if that's all right with you, oh, just to be I warned ahead of time. Yeah, I'm all about this, the spooky. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into our games for the day. Um, I believe that I'm going first today. Uh, today, I'll be pitching essentially, and again, this is really kind of like tired territory for us at this point, but I'm going to call it a battle royale just kind of in name. Uh, I don't know if it really like, it's it's really just like two big teams against each other. It's not, yeah. it's not a every man for himself type thing, but um, I just kind of want to communicate the scale of it. Uh, but basically like a Nidhogg Royale in a way, two teams of 50 or two teams of however many are viable, um, basically try to clear the way to rush the opponent's side of the field. And uh, traditionally, Nidhogg, um, I, I guess we should explain, is a one-on-one -on -one fencing game, in a way, where um, each player on a 2D plane uh, pushes towards the opposite side of the screen. Um, it's kind of a long sc scrolling screen. It feels like a, um, like a football field or something like that. You're trying to make progress towards the enemy side. And... Um, your enemy appears in front of you, and so you have to have a little sword fight to, um, you know, determine the, uh, well, to keep them from uh, from killing you, and so they're trying to rush to your side, you're trying to rush to their side, you're sword fighting, and they respawn every once in a while um, to, to interrupt your progress and to get in your way, and so... I like this kind of like push and pull, this um, tug of war of progress between the two sides, and I just wonder what it would be like if we throw um, quite a few more people into it. So I'm going to start the clock there. I like the idea of having the, the, the sort of always or, or semi shared objective. I think like, yeah, battle Royales have maybe taken the two big teams, uh, smashing into each other, but this almost has like a, I don't know, one of those, uh, sort of fantasy epic battle feelings to it where there's like a bunch of people rushing at a thing at a time i could see the the lord of the rings scene in, in my mind you could uh even potentially you know each player character could be as diverse as like member of the smash bros crowd or a league of legends character you know where they have like really interesting and unique things that each of them can do and so as you're kind of choosing you know which um which uh, platforms to utilize to try to get around certain uh, certain fighters that you don't think you can take or uh, towards fighters that your fighter might have a better uh, chance of chance, dealing yeah. with. That's cool. So, like, do you have the... This is, like, meant to simulate that moment of, like two of the top tier combatants kind of like meeting each other on the battlefield in the midst of a, a bit larger battle. Yeah, in a way. Um, so, I mean, Nidhogg as it was, two sword fighters. And um, and so basically I want to I want to kind of keep that same uh, overall feeling, but um, inject a little bit more kind of chaos into it. And eventually it would 
whittle down to, you know, potentially two players, or I guess actually it would probably be one team was a little bit more stacked towards the end of the round um, than the other. But um, yeah, you know, essentially just kind of taking the same, but adding that chaotic element to it. Yeah, what I like about that is also using like other combatants on the battlefield to potentially bounce off of or like use as environmental obstacles the same way that you when you encounter those fights, you see people like have to be thrown out of the way because they're uh, they're interfering with this fight between these two um, sort of hero characters. And and, uh, you know, if you have enough people on the field, like if you make this uh, maybe you go kind of Star Wars Battlefront style and you have to like become a hero in a way. Mm. So now you're in a situation where like one of my, a game that I really enjoy that actually just recently came out on Switch, even though it's kind of an older game, uh, is called uh, Hidden in Plain Sight. Do you know it? Um, No, the name sounds familiar. So refresh my memory. Yeah. So it is essentially in Hidden in Plain Sight. Most of the mini games revolve around the concept of you not quite knowing who you are on screen. Mm. And so both uh, you are trying to figure it out and there's usually a player in the party that's taking on the role of like, has to take an action, like uh, identify and shoot the person who is, uh, who is hidden in plain sight or whatever. So it's, it's a social engineered uh, sort of identification game, but then there's also many games where, um, you sort of run around and everybody looks the exact same and you're trying to figure out, okay, which one of these people am I? And then once you get your bearings, you have to, uh, like touch some statues or something. There's like a little, uh, sub objective or whatever. So, um, I like the idea of like potentially having many, many people that look alike. So you have this, you can get the other person lost in, in your vision, uh, and you're like, oh, I thought I thought I was tracking them, but it seems like I'm not I'm not a hundred percent certain which one of these people is my enemy. So it sounds like we're kind of taking in the direction of uh, kind of like a MOBA where there's heroes and minions in a way. I don't remember the term for it. Is that right? I think it might be creeps. Creeps. OK, yeah. You, you know that space better than I do. I, I guess I was a. Uh, I was originally kind of envisioning it more kind of like a eight player smash type of round where everyone is, you know, has equal claim to the throne. You know, I don't know if I would want to be one of the smaller supporting characters hoping that my team's hero uh, was, uh, you know, up to the task. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It feels like putting a lot of pressure on certain number of people and giving everyone else kind of a less interesting experience but this could be a way to turn it into like back into a two-player game while still kind of maintaining that larger scale without requiring the uh, online connection okay i'm just trying to think through i'm trying to think through the like smaller experience for a second like how do you make sure or what can we do to make sure that this feels like notably different from smash brothers I think it's mostly just that the core objective is progression in one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, which I guess, I guess that that gets a little confusing because you have to you have to judge whether uh, whether um. Because I'm thinking about like Smash has teams, right? Yeah. You could pretend. So this is like in a way it's a Smash mode, but I think it what is cool is like the maybe there's different ways to make progress outside of just like the fight. Do you think that's so if the if the way to win to score is to kind of get that end zone victory of um you know making it to the other side of the the 
course, the arena, does that mean that, I mean, if this is a 50 on 50, presumably you have to enable like permadeath, right? Like you have to, once people are knocked out, they stay out. Otherwise the match would just kind of be infinitely chaotic Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't ever whittle down to a more tense situation. But if there's permadeath and that means that one player could get like a military victory as it were you know you could completely eliminate the enemy team (laughs) and not have to worry about the end zone rush as much which is still what i want to be kind of the most interesting aspect of the game so it seems like there are kind of two competing ideas either you have to allow respawns or you have to uh like forego the uh end zone victory I'm trying to think about like football rules here. Like a safety is a very rare occurrence in football, but it is this kind of thing that adds a a dynamic nature to the rest of the game, where if you're pushed all the way back into your starting zone, then you are, you're essentially like giving the other team points because you managed your time so poorly. So maybe there's, uh, in addition to like, pushing all the way through if the i wonder if there can be a mechanic where if the other team is so unsuccessful at pushing maybe there's like almost the equivalent of a shot clock or something so that way you you keep the pressure on you're not really allowed to take your hand uh, or your foot rather off the gas just when things are starting to go well yeah or maybe it's a matter of like if any one player reaches the opponent's side of the screen then the screen scrolls no matter what and so it's really about you know keeping the enemy on mass from making it through the the defenses you know it's uh you can't let any leak in the dam right so it, that's like if now if you have 50 people coming at you all at the same time there's like the you know watch all sides i wonder if there can be something in the environment too that's even like a bit of a physical barrier to give you like the entire team without necessarily having to communicate a visual indication that uh, yeah. things are weakening at different different parts of the uh, arena. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, anyways, we're, we're just about out of time. Let's go ahead and wrap it, and uh, let's come up with a name. I feel like push or something is going to... Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> something with pushing. What will it be? I was thinking of pushwhacked as a play on bushwhacked, but I don't know if that's... Is that an offensive term? I don't even know what it means. Bush sounds dirty. It does, but I think it's. Uh, I'm gonna look it up. Bushwhacked. A bushwhacker was a form of guerrilla warfare during the revolutionary. Yeah, that sounds probably bad. Uh, <laughs> oh well, wait a second. Uh, control these traits. A, you know, fight as a guerrilla in the bush. I, I it kind of fits the uh, fits the overall general aesthetic. Um, yeah, if, especially if you're like, you know, if there's any communication and you're able to mount like surprise people from a certain side with flanking or that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Let's uh, let's put out there pushwhacked and see if we get any pushback for that. <laughs> oh my God. We're going to jail. We're going to pun jail one day and I don't know when, but someone is going to send us. That's true. That's true. Well... Until we get there, uh, why don't you give us your pitch and uh, we can uh, see if we can come up with a better name that's a little bit more straightforward to help break us out of pun jail. This, I, I've been thinking a lot about uh, uh, VR with Half-Life Alex and stuff in the in the pipe. And I started thinking about also some other game that recently released in VR uh, from a series that I've enjoyed on mobile, which is 
uh, a game called The Room, uh, mm-hmm. or just Room. It's kind of uh, one of these games where you're playing around and uh, sort of uh, expanding or tapping into secrets of a giant, um, or not even necessarily giant, uh, usually a small, actually, puzzle box. And then I started thinking about the scale of a God of War game, and not the new God of War, although that has great scale in it, but rather the sort of old God of War where there are or even as um, an ocarina of time, where there's many sort of set pieces where your character almost becomes microscopically small in order to show the sort of size and magnitude of uh, what's going on um, in, uh, in in environment. And so I, I kind of love, we've definitely played with micro and macro stuff on the show, um, in the past. So I like the idea of a micro and macro experience of you go down micro and you're, it's a character action game where you're defeating rooms of enemies or platforms and, and places of enemies, unlocking keys and tools. And then potentially you can zoom out and in VR, um, you could have sort of a almost uh, like a god view where you can use the tools that this sort of micro character unlocked in order to uh, open up new pieces of the box. And so you have this kind of toy world that is ever uh, expanding because of what the uh, micro character is able to do and unlock for the macro character. All right, very cool. Let's start the clock there. I feel like um, one of the reference points that we've used before, and I don't remember whether this has uh, directly... Um, come up in uh one of our pitches before how how close this uh this treads to something that we've done but um there's been a couple of jrpgs that allow you to enter your weapon as if it were a dungeon to enhance the weapon which i always thought was kind of cool i know it's kind of a disgaea thing uh, that that series has done for a while um and then even within the weapon, you can find items and then enter those items from there, kind of go into layers and layers upon these uh, um, of these uh, little kind of dungeons that help you enhance your equipment. Cool. So, yeah, I think there's uh, there's cool ways to um, incorporate the scale of both kind of micro macro uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I I was just thinking in my head, like the the set pieces and this doesn't have to be set in this universe. Right. But some of the set pieces in God of War where uh, Kratos is maybe just turning a big crank or something and you're seeing like the entire world rotate around what Kratos is doing. And so I was like, well, that's a that's always a cool feeling to feel like a small character is manipulating a very large and then kind of expanding that out and saying, OK, well, uh what you're able to do now is go and now that that world is sort of moved, be able to sort of tap out or something into VR view. And you can imagine like VR is kind of interesting, or at least in the the rift, I'm, I'm not sure how the Vive and others are set up, but you kind of have a very traditional controller, couple buttons, couple joysticks that would work fine for a, a, a character action game in many ways. And then you sort of, pull out and then the controls the same controls are mapped to you know your two virtual god hands that can grip pieces of the world and sort of move them around Uh, maybe you even have combat scenarios where you're required to move around pieces of the earth in order to expose things like uh, healing or weak points or something on enemies yeah um so you brought up originally the um the room games which actually kind of funny enough just this last couple weeks or so 
a VR game based on the Room series came out. Um, so, you know, I wonder how close actually, how, if they incorporated any of these types of things, I, I, I'm guessing it's kind of a traditional the Room type experience, but um, would, uh, would the gameplay style be drastically different between the two different scales of, of game going on? Would you be uh, more kind of like solving puzzles on one layer and then playing the big, you know, Dynasty Warriors game on the top layer? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I'm curious of the answer to that myself. I'm wondering if like you can do something where the player feels like that they're, you know, you, you have to make the small person still somehow feel significant uh, mm -hmm. in a way that is uh, that's meaningful. So I'm thinking when they're when they're sort of in the world and, and you have this you know, almost like a Metroidvania like thing, or as the, as the big macro puzzle changes, um, it's unlocking new rooms and things for the micro, the micro character, and it's exposing new areas, maybe new sort of platforming challenges or hidden spaces. Um, maybe the, the same way that you have these moments of revelation in the large world inside of, uh, inside of the room where you're like, oh, I finally get the key to unlock this particular piece. That's a great feeling. And then maybe that's causing havoc. So you almost not dread progression, but you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, a new level of challenging for you as you step back into it. Are these layers aware of each other? Yeah. Well, I, they're both you. So I wonder. Yeah, that's true. I guess we are the aspect that are tying them together, but I, I guess just within the fiction of the game it probably doesn't really matter but if i think about like the number of microorganisms that live on me and you know eat my Whoa. dead skin cells or something like that that i don't really know or think about <laughs> that is a that's an, a really interesting wrapper to of like this is gonna be um uh almost a like a, a war for inside of somebody's uh inside of somebody's body is kind of an interesting narrative. Uh, the Osmosis Jones type effect. Finally, the Osmosis Jones, everybody wanted the, the game that we all demanded and finally got. Um, yeah, I, I, that could be cool. So, um, I would really like towards the end of the game to have a moment where this power structure is kind of inverted. Something that the little smaller scale could do whether it's kind of fighting off enemies in a very particular way. I think of like uh, War of the Worlds and how that ended because all the Martians got sick and just kind of wor started working from home instead of invading the planet. <laughs> so, uh. yeah, it was... Uh, I always like when there's some sort of like an unseen force that ends up being more um, deadly and, and and prescient, then I, I realize saying that in the middle of the pandemic is kind of ironic, but uh, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be funny if you always like it? No, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that's cool. So, like, the, the idea of of potentially like you're you're the sort of large character, something can fall ill or lose an ability because something that the micro character is not keeping up with or uh or an enemy like it kind of incentivizes you don't just run through this room of enemies because uh you're gonna put your sort of macro character in a real bind or kind of at a story point they're attacked by much smaller enemies kind of like the uh you know x-wing swarming the death star uh, yes then it really is up to that smaller scale character to save the day I mean, like one of the things I know that Sony found success in with the uh, the VR game Astro Boy was the uh, sort of having a character that you kind of 
your head is the camera right in the mario 64 Mm -hmm. realm so you have kind of a way to look around environments and stuff so i think like in and of itself that could provide cool visual puzzles uh on the small scale of this thing and saying oh well when you actually look around this corner you'll find that you can actually do x y and z that might be that might be a way to like do environmental puzzles for the your sort of action character while you're um you're still taking on that that role so you almost get like a i can imagine the scope even feels maybe last guardian-esque in, in this sort of thing there's another game that i've referenced before it's one of my personal favorites called fru on the xbox one uh it's a connect exclusive i think it's just on xbox one might be on 360 as well um but it's a 2d platformer where you control this little character um uh, on the on the 2d plane with your controller but you use the connect as a way of uh, your um your body kind of casts a silhouette onto the screen and in that silhouette you can cause certain things to appear or disappear and so mm-hmm. you know there's these very kind of like tangible moments of this little character uh kind of running along a bridge made between your arms or you know running uh, running down your your knee or something like that to try to get to a uh, one of the um, platforms on screen and there's something that feels really uh, really cool about that and um, yeah if there, if there are ways to kind of incorporate um, maybe when the larger character moves or you know does certain things then just like the position of his or her body ends up uh you know becoming you oh know, yeah a major part of the world that the little character has to explore yeah if the large character could say spin the world and the world has like a light source then potentially you could do something almost fru-esque right which is when there's uh when your body is casting shadow over a part perhaps that weakens enemies and so you find yourself sort of maneuvering around in order to uh to help out the micro player in a combat scenario and get you kind of up and moving around uh, we've hit 10 minutes so let's let's name it oh i was kind of thinking about if we wanted to go with uh robotic protagonists we can call it built to scale which is like difference <laughs> in in scale but also they could potentially be scaling large uh large objects yeah that's really cool Built to scale is good. I think that's also the name of one of the Rhythm Heaven mini games. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's infected cool. your brain. Yep. Only for the better, though. Let's go to our community. Uh, this was tweeted at us from Jason Esty, who we've heard from before, who says, Here's a simple pitch. What would a Calvin and the Hobbes video game look like? And oh my God. that's it. Let's go ahead and start the clock. Okay. You're going to have to be my Sherpa on this. I don't really know anything about Calvin and Hobbes other than they're friends. And is the tiger fake yeah so i've i've read a tiny amount of calvin hobbes i mean i i know that they're uh uh both um early christian philosophers (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) it's just a little bit of like what a weird place to to pull those names from for this comic series so i I assume we are talking about the comic series um this early division of the church i wonder if jason uh, is um just sitting there going, I can't believe they don't know anything about Calvin and Hobbes. And he's more distracted by that than, than whatever we're <laughs> about to try and pitch. No, but essentially it's a, so Calvin's kind of a, like a 10 year old boy or something like that, probably younger. Um, he has this uh, tiger stuffed animal that he imagines as being real. A lot of their, their adventures kind of 
feels to me like as kind of an outside observer, only kind of reading panels here and there, that they kind of alternate between reveling in the fun kind of uh, innocence of um, childhood and playing up the naivety of the character, and then also at times making him more kind of philosophically aware and world weary than mm. somebody his age would be, which <clears throat> to me always felt a little bit like having your cake and eating it too. But uh, I think that, you know, having a kind of childlike perspective gives you a really honest lens to approach these more kind of like loaded philosophical issues. So in that way, it's fun. But um, there's, I think one of the the major aspects of the Calvin and Hobbes uh, fiction is this game called Calvin Ball, where basically it is, uh, it's never really completely spelled out the rule set for how to win at Calvin Ball in this this game that he plays. Okay. Uh, but you do get the sense that he's making up the rules as he goes to benefit himself. So uh, maybe there's some way to, uh, to utilize a changing rule set. But uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe justifying things after they've happened. It's really uh, drawing the target around the arrows. One of the things that's like, we've never really <laughs> now, let's get philosophical about our show for a second. One of the things we've purposely, I think not done on our show is we've never standardized the format of video game pitch, right? We've never been like, Oh, you're first, you're going to come in and talk about the story. Then you're going to, or you're going to talk about the genre, then the, this, then that. And I wonder, uh, it's a thought experiment. I also wonder like, is that possible? <laughs> but then secondly, that is like something I feel tempted to want to, try here like is there a mm -hmm. like okay the phil philosophy right is a tenant of this thing do we want to pick kind of a genre that we think that slides into i mean i'm starting to think like adventure game i'm thinking about uh the um sometimes maligned uh title of uh walking simulator here yeah i think that the calvin and the Hobbes um would fit nicely into either of those. I mean, I feel like realistically, if a Calvin and Hobbes game were to be made, it would probably be a kart racer because <laughs> a lot of these uh, types of games, uh, a lot of these uh, kind of properties that are licensed out um, tend to go that direction. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, it kind of reminds me of before Telltale kind of hit the big time with The Walking Dead, they did a lot of... Um, Kind of adaptations of comics, especially of uh, Sam and Max and the Bone series uh, of uh, point and click adventures and their kind of cinematic style. And so, you know, I could I could see them really doing well with the uh, Calvin and Hobbes uh, IP. Not that they even exist anymore, so it's kind of a useless discussion. But you know, <laughs> early two thousands or I guess early two thousand tens Telltale would be great for that. <laughs> I kind of love the idea of using uh, the Calvin ball potentially to be <laughs> imagine like an open world game where you can go around playing this game with folks. And that is how you get them to sort of tell you their troubles or tell you their, their thoughts and their feelings. And maybe you just go around doing really like generous favors um, for people based on the things that they tell you that like they're experiencing or that they could use in their life. And, it almost becomes an exercise in kindness, which should, you know, be slightly refreshing these days to her for people to play. What if there's kind of a 
I, I mean, one of the interesting things about the Calvin and Hobbes comic, as we touched on before, is that Hobbes is uh, imaginary. He's, he's just a stuffed animal. Everyone else sees him as such. I wonder if there's anything interesting that can be done with that, where you know it could be kind of a co-op type of game. Think of like summoning in a Dark Souls, but the other player is imaginary for what it's worth. Like they don't like if certain other characters see them or come into um like they can't interact with others they uh for all intents and purposes become a stuffed animal again so maybe as you're fighting away these kind of imaginary threats you have to also almost like a stealth game stay out of view of the real people around you otherwise your uh your companion will become rather benign Hmm. so you're saying in that there's kind of the I think I need to hear more about this. So imagine like you and your friend are summoned into a Dark Souls game. Uh, and so, you know, your friend is helping you defeat the enemies. But uh, if any NPCs, you know, if if he enters the sight line of any NPCs, then, uh, you know, he goes kind of limp like a ragdoll. Mm, okay. So you're like, it's a stealth game of sorts, but, but with... Uh... I think rather hilarious consequences just to catch somebody's sightline and have the person go totally, totally um, <laughs> dead weight. Yeah. So it's kind of like two classes of characters. There's imaginary characters in which you can fully engage. And then there's real characters in which only the person who's hosting that game can interact. That's interesting. You could do some interesting story stuff or storytelling stuff rather um, with that where you have a character who you could do like semi-transparent characters as well, like characters that become almost become nothing just by nature of people being like, oh no, that's not real. You know, that that person's made up or whatever. So you could like reinforce the the real world versus the imaginary world uh, for the player. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, trying to think I mean, of like... What? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. There's a lot of uh, instances of, um, you know, Calvin and Hobbes going on adventures to Mars or whatever it is. These completely kind of imaginary environments. Um, I would love if the world can be kind of a naturalistic, realistic world and then kind of erupt into imaginary environments around them. So I'm thinking of, uh, there's a game called... Uh, let me look it up to make sure I have. I think it's Beyond Eyes. I think that's the name of it. Oh yes, yeah. I think I know. Beyond what you're Eyes, about. where you play as a, a blind girl. She's walking around kind of a white void, and then as she comes into the vicinity of other things, uh, she can hear and kind of perceive using non-visual senses. Then it kind of erupts into this uh, watercolor type of beautiful painting of the world around her. So. You know, maybe it could be a similar type thing. I, I'd even love to carry over this watercolor aesthetic where you're in kind of a traditional kind of simple, you know, middle America town. And then as you go places, it turns into this Martian landscape or it turns into, you know, a battlefield or whatever it is that you're imagining. And so you really do get the sense that this kid's kind of going on a uh, almost like a Rugrats type of adventure. That's cool. And then now you can kind of open up spaces and have uh, like let objects transform in place 
where something goes from a totally mundane thing. I think of like the sort of tone and charm of, uh, oh geez, the, um, the, the game featuring the little boy from the, uh, life is strange folks. Um, yeah. Uh, the captain spirit, what is it? The incredible adventures yeah. of captain spirit or something like that. It's something like that, but it's, yeah. So in, in that vein, uh, you can kind of imagine being able to kind of have something that is like, oh, it's, you know, it's a kitchen, it's pots and pans, it's the mundane. And then uh, maybe to Calvin, uh, because he is, you know, Hobbes is a <laughs> is a friend that is imaginary. Uh, you can kind of travel to this imaginary land and play with the ordinary objects and suddenly what was uh, a mundane object becomes extraordinary. It's suddenly, you know, not your couch anymore. It's a spaceship. Yeah. And then maybe using sight lines of NPCs to turn things back into what they're supposed to be because you might need a pot or a pan at some point. Um, anyways, we, we are at time. Let's, uh, let's call it and let's give it a name. Seems like we got to do Calvin and Hobbes in there somewhere. Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> thinking of the uh the game a boy and his blob if we were to just call it a boy and his hob a boy but and his hob oh no hobbs, hobbs <laughs> isn't a pluralized term already but <laughs> so kind of um, cute <laughs> it works it definitely works is there a little extra ounce to milk out of it is there like a calvin and his hob or a, a cow and his hob or something Maybe it, yeah, I was maybe just thinking it's perfect. Like, I, I do like when uh, this is one of the tacks that non-video game IPs take when they enter the video game space is that they choose a title that's like a very clear parody of an existing video game. And it's just like their way of saying like, hey, don't worry, we know video games too. Right. <laughs> I always just felt like it's kind of like cute and endearing. A bull. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a boy in his blood. Right. Okay. Yeah. Calvin and Hobbs, thank you very much, Jason Esty, for tweeting that one in. If you would like to tweet us a game idea, you can do so by tweeting at PlaywrightCast. You can also go to our website, playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or you can email us, playwrightcast at gmail.com. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise, and go check out the other shows on the Kane and Rinse Network, like The Sausage Factory, Sound of Play, and Kane and Rinse, the titular Kane and Rinse. And it's my turn to come up with a miniature pitch of the day. Can you um, do it? Yeah. How about, uh, you know, since we are kind of still in this Animal Crossing high, uh, well, you're not, but everyone else <laughs> no, is. You um, know, I'm taking a hit. I'm taking a hit here. <laughs> all right. What have you played the other side of the museum curation and you have to actually like place all of the fish and bugs, make sure they don't eat each other feed them, take care of them, change out the water and stuff. Mm, now it sounds like you're pitching my kind of Animal Crossing spinoff. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for today. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.